If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, found on page 1023. Luke chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, which was Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, So that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of, of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I know when I read this story in the the book of Luke, I can't help but smile. You've got to put yourself into, into Peter's shoes. Imagine what he had just gone through, what he was thinking. You ever had a fishing day like Peter? You've been out in a boat for hours and hours, and you don't have a whole lot to show for it. It's just one of those days. It doesn't matter whether you're trolling fast or slow, um, whether uh, you're in shallow or deep water, whether you're using live bait or artificial, or if it's sunny or if it's cloudy, or you fill in the blank. You just can't catch a fish. And even after fervently praying to the Lord, Lord, just this once, let me catch a record-sized walleye or northern. It doesn't happen, does it? You catch a little perch that big. After six hours of nothing, you're ready to go home, right? Can you picture Peter standing on the shore next to his boat, tired from fishing the previous night or morning? And then somebody walking up to you and pointing to a spot you had already repeatedly fished and telling you, go fish over there in the deeper water. It'd be like someone telling an expert fisherman how to fish. They'd probably smile a little and say, yeah, right, okay, thanks for your advice. I can hear Peter saying that. I can hear him saying to himself, yeah, but I went over that spot seven times at three different depths or levels. I I used every kind of color imaginable, every lure that I had in my tackle box, and still nothing. Now I'm tired and hungry, 
And I just want to clean my net, and I want to go home. But I give Peter a lot of credit. Instead of saying something sarcastic to Jesus, he simply says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets, the net again. What made Peter willing to listen to uh, uh, Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth? Again, he wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter. So what made Peter listen to him and, and his advice? Had he met Jesus before this? And actually, it appears that he did. John chapter 1 says that after Jesus called the two disciples, Andrew immediately goes and tells his brother Simon, or Simon Peter, who after arriving is given a new name by, by Jesus. Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So apparently there was this previous interaction with, with Jesus, but Peter didn't stick around. Because he was a fisherman. How, how was he supposed to make a living if he, if he didn't fish? I'm sure he was intrigued by what Jesus had said the first time that he had met him. Maybe even listening to him as they were uh, cleaning their nets. But to give up everything and follow Jesus? That's, that's another story. To become a, a disciple of a rabbi, that was a huge commitment. You gave up everything. You left everything behind and followed the rabbi. You went where the rabbi went. You listened to what the rabbi said and taught. You were his disciple. And a lot was expected of those who followed a rabbi. As Jesus taught the people near the spot where, again, Peter and and Andrew were uh, cleaning their nets, The crowd apparently got so big that they started to push against Jesus closer and closer to the shore, and finally he had nowhere to to go. And so he asked Peter if he could get into his boat. And they pulled out a few feet, maybe 10, 15 feet, and from the boat, Jesus started to teach the people. Notice something about Peter and Andrew. While Jesus was... uh, teaching, especially in in the beginning before he got into the boat, it doesn't say that Peter and and Andrew dropped everything that they were doing and intently listened to Jesus. I think you could say more or less that it was more passive. As they worked, they were kind of keeping their their ears open. I think Peter and Andrew are a lot like a lot of people today. They aren't necessarily hostile to Jesus, but they ask that question, How is Jesus relevant to us? How is Jesus relevant to us? I mean, they still had work to do, bills to pay, food to buy, money to make, families to feed. And they were probably wondering, how can Jesus make a difference in my life? I think this could also be said of the crowd that was following Jesus. Why were they following him? Yeah, they were intently listening to him, but... Were they following him because of what they thought they could get from Jesus? You've got to remember, he, he performed a lot of miracles before this. Maybe they wanted to see another miracle. But were they really following him because they thought he was the Messiah? It's hard to say at this point. But I think every believer needs to ask that same question. Why are we following Jesus? 
Is it for what he can give us, the blessings that we receive through him? Because he's our Father in heaven. He's a good, good God. And he blesses us abundantly. Is that why we follow him? Or, or do we follow him because he's your Lord and Savior? Is he the pearl of great price that you would be willing to sell everything that you have in order to attain Jesus? In verse 4, after Jesus finishes speaking to the people, he asks Peter to set out into deeper water, away from the shore, and let down his nets again. Can you hear the absurdity, absurdity in Jesus' request? He just got done cleaning the nets. The nets were clean. You put those nets back out in the water and they're going to get full of seaweed again and they're going to have to start cleaning them all over again. And they just spent a whole night fishing and he spent all that time cleaning the nets. And here's this carpenter telling him, yeah, go fish over there. It would be like asking, I don't know, Jerry Van Sloten to go golfing after he just golfed a 140. If he had any clubs left at all, he would probably say to me, there is no way I'm never going to golf again. No, I doubt he would say that, but I'm sick of golfing. I'm not going to golf anymore today. I'm sure it made no sense at all to Peter either. But rather than argue with, with Jesus, he does what he says. And he goes to that spot and he casts out his net. Now notice the order of this. He doesn't see the fish, cast out his net, and then bring them in. But he first puts the net out, then the fish come, Jesus brings the fish, and then he draws the net up. Jesus was really asking Peter to take a step of faith, wasn't he? Take a step of faith and be obedient. And we see the results. The nets were so full, they started to rip, and so they started putting the, the, the fish in the boat, and their boat was going to swamp. So they got the other boat, started putting the fish in there, and that was almost going to swamp. Normally they just caught a dozen fish or so a night. Could make a living at that. But to have a net full, that's a huge, huge amount of money that that, that represented. I'm sure after Peter witnessed this incredible miracle, And he saw Jesus' power over the sea or the water and even what was in it. I'm sure suddenly he started to see Jesus with new eyes. He saw Jesus' power. But there's something else going on in our story. And I'm sure it was prompted by the Holy Spirit. Clearly, Peter felt uneasy in Jesus' presence. Enough to make him want to escape and hide. Listen to what he says after the miracle. I mean, is this what you expect Peter to say? He just saw this amazing miracle, all these fish. What does he say to Jesus? He falls at his knees and says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Not what you would expect someone to say after an incredible miracle like that. Go away. That's my second point. Why did, Jesus, why, why did Peter say this? Why did he come to that realization at that moment, at that point, that he was a sinful man? 
I mean, Jesus doesn't say anything to bring about that response in Peter. At least it's not recorded that way. Clearly, it was Jesus' presence. His very presence had this effect on on Peter. When you think about it, I think it's a, a natural response to sinful man coming into the presence of a holy God. I think we tend to all do the same thing. We're just more subtle in avoiding Jesus. We may not ask Jesus to go away from us, but there's other ways to ignore somebody and and to keep distant from them. See, sometimes when we've got that unconfessed sin in our lives, that's our natural response. We want to avoid Jesus. Because to be in his presence, it convicts us challenges us. It forces us to see ourselves. And sometimes the the things we see, we don't like very much. It's just the light of Christ that was shining. That's what made him feel this. I think we can even experience that by by going to church, um, being in the presence of God's people. The Holy Spirit is here. When you've got a lot of sin that you're dealing with, you don't want to come and, and, and be with the, with the church. You don't want to be in Jesus' presence because it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel guilty. And it forces you to have to deal with your sin. You know, it's kind of like standing outside at nighttime and, and looking at the stars. It's completely dark. It takes a while for your eyes to get adjusted so that you can start seeing the stars. And the longer you're out there, the more you can see. But what happens if you then went inside the house and all the lights are on? You'd start blinking, oh, it hurts. That light kind of hurts. Isn't that kind of how it is for us? The light of Christ at times, it, it can make us feel a little uncomfortable. We're drawn to it. We want it. But yet... That initial experience, it's not always easy. See, we need to confess our sins. We need to be made right with God. Sometimes, though, we're not willing to confess our sins. We want to deny them, minimize them. The best thing people try today is to give our sins new names, kind of cute names, shortcomings, character flaws, a mistake, limitation, weakness, defect, and inadequacy. <laughs> That's why I did it. Inadequacy. Instead of calling it for what it is, it's sin. In God's eyes, it's sin, and he hates it. He hates every evidence of sin in your lives, and we should hate it as well. In God's eyes, it's wicked and evil. We can't be making allowances for it like our world does, but we have to call it what it is. That's why we need to confess our sins. I think that's why AA AA puts so much emphasis on the fourth and the fifth step. First, you have to um, make a fearless and moral inventory of yourself. Boy, that's hard. It's hard to see what you've done, the mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed. But it's worth it 
to go through that pain of, of looking at yourself honestly because what's the next step? Forgiveness. Forgiveness in Jesus. Asking Jesus to forgive all your sins. That means you no longer have to hide, you no longer have to feel guilty. See, those are the things that hold us back. But when those are taken away, then we're, we're free to serve. To walk in the freedom of Christ. This is why Jesus tells Peter he no longer needs to be afraid at the end of verse 10, but... God was offering him grace through Jesus. And in this new freedom, Peter and Andrew and James and John and the rest of the the disciples, they could serve not out of guilt, not out of an attempt to earn their way into heaven, but as a way to show God their gratitude for the gift of salvation that they've been given or they will be given. And despite the overflowing boats full of fish, Peter and Andrew... We're told they drop everything and they begin to follow Jesus. I wonder if the disciples felt any uncertainty or or, or fear that day that Jesus called them to follow him. They They would have had to. Jesus was asking them to leave everything that they that they knew and start a really a whole different life. But what enabled them to overcome their fear? Trust. Trust in Jesus. And they just got a glimpse of who he was by that incredible miracle. And so they're ready to follow him. I think Bonhoeffer sums it up well when he says in in the book, Cost of Discipleship, that the disciples dropped everything and followed Jesus for the simple reason that the one calling was Jesus. Listen to what he says. It is Jesus who calls, and because it's Jesus, his call cannot be ignored. They couldn't ignore it, because Jesus was calling their name. Literally in our text, Jesus is calling Peter to not just walk with him, but to actually come toward him. I hope you hear the difference there. He's not asking Peter to just walk with him, but to actually walk toward him. And that's kind of significant. Picture God's call to Peter as being like that satellite some years ago that they had hit the surface of Mars. Do you remember what it did first, though? It went round and round and round Mars and took pictures and did scientific studies. And after that was all done, then they programmed it to ram right into the planet. Analyze the dust or whatever. I'm not sure. Now, Going round and round a planet, that's commitment, isn't it? But it's total commitment for that satellite to go right toward the planet and implode on it. That's total commitment. And that's what we're being called to do as well. Jesus is asking any who would follow him to be totally committed to him. Totally surrender yourselves to Jesus. Think of the intimacy that you can experience, the joy, the meaning your life would would have if you became, draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord throughout your life. Not just a satellite going round and round, kind of staying, keeping your distance, but total commitment, total focus. 
on Jesus and his will for your life. Think of the joy that would fill your life, a foretaste of what awaits us in heaven. This morning, if Jesus seems dull or boring, then you need to ask yourself, what kind of relationship do you have with him? Are you that satellite that's just going round and round, keeping your distance? Or are you totally committed? I may have told you this story before, but I remember when I was a kid, went fishing with a friend of the family. His name was Don. Don loved the idea of fishing, but he wasn't much of a fisherman. I remember going pan fishing with him, and after he caught a fish, he put it in the bucket, he cut the line. He caught another pan fish, put it in the bucket, cut the line. That's what he did for every single fish. He hated to touch them. And so when he got done, there was 15 pan fish in his bucket with lines hanging out of their mouths, hooks still in there. He had to strip, put a new uh, hook on every, every single time. He liked the idea of fishing, but not fish themselves. Now, when I was growing up, my dad took me fishing a lot. I remember when he took me to Canada when I was five. Man, that was a big deal. And I didn't know much about fishing. That was probably my first experience, but... As I watched him and his passion for fishing and his love for fishing, it kind of rubs off on you. And because of his love, I started to love fishing too. Do you love fish? Do you love the lost? Because ultimately that's Really what he's calling Peter to do, right? To be a fisher of men, not just of fish. But if you're going to be a fisher of men, you've got to love those that you're trying to bring in. You've got to love fish. And sometimes the lost, yeah, you know, they're not real pretty. And sometimes they've got a lot of issues and problems that need to be dealt with. But do you love them as much as Jesus does? And if you do, you're willing to get involved. You're willing to get your hands dirty. You're willing to commit your time and energy to bring them in. Now notice, Jesus will draw the fish. But we've got to put our nets down yet, don't we? We've got to be obedient. He's going to call who he calls, but we still got to be willing to go out there and, and be his hands and feet and his voice and draw on the net and... Invite the lost to church. Invite the lost to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This gift that you have received, Jesus is now living in your heart. That's what people desperately need around us. They may not know that yet. That's what they desperately need if they're going to enjoy life. Jesus loves the lost. Do you? Not just the lost in North America, but the lost around the world. Might some of our children be willing to be missionaries? To go around the world, to other parts, and proclaim that good news. It's a calling for all of us. Even even you right now, where you're at in your life, 
If Jesus is calling you to, to do something like this, don't resist. Don't fight. It's an adventure to be with Jesus. To draw closer and closer and closer to him. It's our privilege, really, as Christians to be able to tell others the best thing that's ever happened to us. That's Jesus. And so what is Christ calling you to do? Or if he's not calling you to go to another part of the world, what is he calling you to do right here in Rudyard or Kinross or Kinslow or in Cedarville or Hessel? How is he calling you to be his light, to be a witness? Charles Stanley once said to his congregation that I pray that it will never be said of our church that we were the keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. May that be our prayer as well. Not keepers of the aquarium, but fishers of men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us so much, for calling us to follow you. Father, this morning we we confess our sins before you, those things that are are interfering in our relationship with you. Lord, we, we lay them at the cross, and we just pray, Lord, that you might wash us and make us whiter than snow. Cleanse us, forgive us. If there's anyone here who's never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they might know that joy, that love in their lives. And then, Lord, open our eyes. May we see the harvest all around us. Show us how we can bring it and gather it in. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.